Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are joined by an oldie but a goodie. This is our second interview of some of our favorite returning guests, Andrew Eklund, the CEO of Cicerone. If you want to check out his first podcast, we had a phenomenal conversation. It was episode number 92, and I would love for you to go back and listen to that first, get to hear about how he started his company, what they are up to, and all the amazing things that they do to invest in their people and culture. For today, uh, Andrew, first off, welcome back. Thank you for being here today. Great to be here, Drew. Today, I'd love to just take, uh, just have a fun conversation about you. You know, most of our audience are, are founders, and what I've found to be true for me is any situation I find myself in that I have to fully engage, bring some level of, of responsibility, ends up being some level of a mirror to me. Mm-hmm. You know, the first, you know, early on when I got married, I was like, wow, I, I thought I was a pretty selfless guy, and then I realized I was more selfish than I thought. You know, you have kids. You start yeah. a company, you find yourself in these situations where you can't help but learn things about yourself. Yeah. And so I'd just be curious, you know, let's play this game. If someone were to start working closely with you, let's say you brought someone on, another executive or somebody that needed to work closely with you, what do you think you would tell them as a cheat sheet about working best with you? What do you know about yourself that you'd pass along to that person and say, here's some good things to know about working with me? Interesting. You know, I'm actually kind of going through that right now too. Um, and so it, it's, it's, it's funny to actually try and think about it through those lenses. You know, a couple of things I tell people is that I've been doing this for a very long time. What I mean by this is I've been involved in the, the internet business since the beginning of the commercial internet. So 93, 94. So you can pretty much, when I'm working with somebody, say you can pretty much trust that when I say, I think this is going to happen moving forward. It, there's a pretty good chance that it's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, I, it's not that I can totally see the future. This is crazy. It's a crazy world, but a lot history does repeat itself over and over again. And so my hunches are usually pretty well informed. Having said that, the flip side of that coin is that uh, I, I'm a classic sort of visionary, right? In the, in the world of like traction EOS kind of stuff, right? I'm like a classic visionary, meaning I lose my attention span very quickly. Mm. So uh, when I'm working with somebody, it's like, who's close to me, who's, you know, helping lead the business, leading the agency, you know, to push back. And that I'm a very much, a, a, you can always push back on me. Um, and you can push back on the idea, but you could also certainly push back on the relevance and just say, for example, I think that's an interesting thing, Andrew, that's, uh, really definitely heading, you know, the world might be heading in that direction, but that's probably two years away. Mm. And here's why I'll be like, cool. Glad to know, because I'm guilty of selling to clients, offering things to clients, a lot of things they didn't even know they needed right? Because we're ahead of the game. And it is always possible for us to get too far out ahead of ourselves. Um, and, and that's always a challenge. You know what I mean? So if I'm working with, uh, if I'm working with, uh, you know, a president or whomever else, it's to understand that, you know, operationalizing around some of these ideas is, is not my gift. Uh, and that's something that, uh, you know, they should know. 
Um, such an interesting dynamic when you when you are a visionary type personality and you back that up with with enough data, right? Mm-hmm. Where you've you've been around enough so you can also spot trends yeah. coming for a long time. Right. But that creative that kind of creative uh visionary type person, like you said, often doesn't know if it's a year away or ten years away. And so it really takes a good team that you both trust and trust you to know what to do with your ideas. Yeah. How how has that evolved over the years? Because I know it can frustrate people at times, or you could feel frustrated that no one's listening to you and you know trusting your word, or they could be frustrated because you keep telling telling them to push on something that they don't think is ready for. Talk to me about that dynamic. Yeah, it's super hard. It really is. Um, you know, I'm full of conviction. You know what I mean? Like I believe this to be real. Yeah. Well, that means that the whole world needs to adjust itself around my reality, and that's probably not fair. It's probably real to me. Um, and again, I may not be wrong, but it may not be real, 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 capital R real for a couple of years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'll give you two examples that are really good examples, I think, right now specifically. Um, I think we may even talked about it in our first one, but like, you know, the fact that uh, the whole world of advertising targeting is going to be moving over the next year and a half away from cookies. It is not a sexy topic. It's not, uh, doesn't require any creative muscles necessarily to be able to sort of like think it through. Um, it's not fun. Uh, it involves a lot of technology, it involves a lot of new players, it involves a lot of uncertainty. And yet on the other side of that is great opportunity. Um, great opportunity to put yourself a lot of distance between yourself and your competitors because you embrace the change faster and you can make the adjustments sooner rather than later, rather than play this giant game of catch up over totally. a different time. But I'll be honest with you, it's hard to get people to care because, you know, Google decided to put it off for a year and everyone was like, oh, great. Now we get to put it off for a year. That just means we're kicking the can down the road of things that we need to be doing right now that we could be doing in the future. So, you know, that's a classic one. That's a classic one of like, I know this is happening. That wasn't even me being quote unquote visionary. That's just literally the writing on the wall, people saying this is going to happen. Um, and yet nobody really wanting to invest much time and resources into trying to figure out the solution. Okay. So that's one that's yeah. like a year from now. Right. So like for some people, that's a long time away for me, that's like tomorrow. Right. Yeah. The second one, that's a really good example right now is just what the hell is going on in the cryptocurrency market and what might that have, what impact might that have on us and our clients and their businesses. And so I am one of these people who fully believes that in decentralized finance and believes what's happening on the blockchain. And I believe that it's a very, it could be more transformative than the internet itself. I believe that I really do. And, uh, but I don't know if that's a year from now or 10 years from now at all. I don't have any idea. And I'm not yeah. talking about like the price predictions of Bitcoin and Ethereum and things like this. I'm not even talking about like prices of the coins themselves. I'm talking about literally the technologies themselves. That's the transformative stuff. And I think that the world is going to look very differently within the next five years from what it does now. And that has a huge impact across our entire economy. And my question to myself right now is, okay, well, if you believe that to be true, then what, what are people supposed to be doing right now? Mm. Right. 
And how and why would potentially a client Cicerone that has hired us to be their advertising and marketing and creative agency, why would they be coming to me and talking to me about cryptocurrency? Like where I can't see the common thread. Why are you talking about these new financial models and all this kind of stuff? Well, for me, from a, as a digital guy, this is what people in the business call web 3.0. So for me, this is totally linear. Everything that's happening in crypto makes complete and total sense to me from exactly what we were trying to do 25 years ago. So this is linear, but I think to the rest of the world, it seems sort of like, I, I don't get why. Out there, yeah. Yeah, I don't, and I don't get why my, my agency people would be talking to me about this. So, you know, and also I've just been immersed in it this whole year. I've spent, I've spent this whole year so far immersed in this world so that I have a really good understanding of it so that I can be somewhat educated when I do start going to clients and talking about it. So but that's a great example. Is that, is that visionary or is it, you know, it's definitely, visionary. I don't, I don't know. I just, you know, I just, that's where I see things headed and it, yeah. and it makes complete and total sense to me. So, yeah, to me, I, I would categorize myself more in that category. And I, maybe it's because I do that. I de-romanticize it yeah. because I know I'm nothing special, but yeah. it is more just like maybe a propensity or, or an inclination to see, right? Visionary just means to be able to see. Yeah. So whether it's intuition or logical, like this just makes sense to me. I, I look up. It's the fact that you do look up and mm -hmm. that you have trained your eyes to see is what I think makes it visionary. It's not always novelty. It's not that you thought of something out of nothing. And right. How right. did you think of that? It's like, no, man, you, you looked up and you saw, you know, like Wayne Gretzky talks about, I skate to where the puck is going. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, what I'd be curious to hear is, I know this is all live reflection, which to me is awesome and fun. Uh, but if you were to think back at like the more immature version of you, yeah, let's say 20 years ago, yeah, versus the more wise and self-reflective version of you that's still operating in your strengths, what would you say some of the key differences are from earlier on version of you, maybe some traps you fell into versus what seems to be working out a little better for you now in that visionary role? Oh, that's a great question. Um, well, I've always considered myself either a make-believe or a made-up leader, right? Because I appointed myself leader when I started the agency, whether I deserved it or not. Yeah. And so the younger version of me was just trial and error. Every single decision I made was the first time I had ever made that decision, right? And, um, and, then, and then that coupled with probably frustration that it wasn't happening the way I thought it should, but why would I have expected any different? Because yeah. you know what I mean? Like, and I was also, um, when I was younger, I was also very stubborn. And so I didn't really probably ask for help from the people that I could have asked for help from. Um, and so, you know, the older, well, for sure the older me, I don't know if it's wiser or not, but the older me is uh, much more patient. Uh, I understand myself a lot better now than I did back then. I understand that, that, you know, this quote unquote visionary role can be both exhilarating for some people and exhausting for others. Yeah. And I can now put that in context and understand, you know, when it's time to make big bets and big leaps versus when it's just going to be a distraction because the market's not ready or the technology's not ready or my, my own staff, I haven't done a good job of communicating to them what the relevance, what it, even this is. You know, so I just think I'm much more patient now. 
Mm. Um, I do trust my instincts more now than I did back then because I've seen history repeat itself and I can kind of come to its logical, logical conclusion um, a little faster and maybe with more certainty. Um, but that's just through experience. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, literally through data collection, even subconsciously, right? Just yeah. being around more, seeing more, it's going to inform almost that Malcolm Gladwell idea of blink. Oh, yeah. The, the more you've been in a certain area, you can start to trust your blink a little bit more because it's based on more experiences and data in your brain, maybe versus early on when it's the first painting you've ever seen and judged, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, there's no question about that. And Early uh, on, yeah. early on, were you, if you were to think back onto where you might be frustrated was it the pace that things weren't happening as fast as you wanted, or was it also or only the expression that it wasn't being done in the way that you thought it would come out or be done? Does that make sense? One's yeah. pace and one is more like expression. Yeah, it's great. Uh, both. both. <laughs> Sometimes That's what my guess was both. Um, uh, it's very difficult in our world. It's everything is very interdependent and, and requires a lot of technology and data parts and creative movement all happening simultaneously. And that is a very, very difficult thing to do. Yeah. And I appreciate that now more than I did even when I was younger. Um, I mean, I just wanted people just make it happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, 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 and the wiser me knows that some things are, some things we can make happen right away and other things are dependent upon factors that are out of our control. Um, and so I'm, I've become maybe a little more patient or I should say less impatient with things that are out of our control. The area that I do find myself always sort of struggling with is how do you communicate these strongly held convictions in ways that are accessible and are contextual towards the audience's hopes, dreams, and fears? Yeah. Right. Like I can sit up in front of a, a crew probably now, even with my eight months of, of, of learnings. And I could probably explain pretty well what's going on with certain parts of cryptocurrency. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? And, yeah. and, but if I can't talk about it in the context of this is what it's going to do to help you sell high end furniture or to sign on new accounts for a credit union or I don't know, maybe a credit union is probably the worst place to start in the crypto world. But at any rate, you know what I'm saying? Like, like I need to tell that story within the context of that person's specific situation so that the light bulbs go off and they can see how it would apply to their own world. Yeah. Versus saying, hey, we all need to be a student of macroeconomics. Yeah. Now, you probably need to be a student of microeconomics as it relates specifically to your business. And if I can help figure out how to imagine how that new world might play into your daily lives... And that, and that it's the fastest, most quickly adopted technology in the history of humankind. True story. Faster than the internet. Wow. Right. That I, uh, you know, that is my challenge. My challenge is to figure out how to communicate that. So yeah, it that almost sounds bit, like yeah. It almost sounds like when you're communicating, whether internally to your team or to a client about something that you're not sure they're going to immediately kind of get it with you, is you got to backfill some. Like yeah where is the world and the border to the world in which I think they have stopped or needs filling in? And how do I get them almost logically up to speed so that from that point we can jump off and look into the future? Yeah. Is it kind of like that? Like 
here's what I think the way you're thinking about it or the, the world as you know it. Let me tweak some things that you're going to get. And then from there, it's going to make sense that we're talking about this. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great uh, way to look at it. I also think that you just have to know your audience. I mean, so for example, back to this crypto example, you know, I could probably talk to a digital media team and uh, imagine for them uh, how consumer privacy could be solved by the blockchain, where each of us might have an encrypted ID where nobody could possibly ever hack into the fact that uh, it's Drew McClure and it's Andrew Eklund, and I'm going to give them different things, but it's absolutely, totally secure forever, mm. you know, which would make cookies look like like the romper room, which it does. Cookies were never meant to do what they're supposed to do. Um, I could talk to a media team and that would make sense, but that's probably not the impact that it would have on like a retailer. Yep. Right. If I was talking to the CEO of a retailer, I would say I would talk more about supply chain and what's happening in that world. What's happening with the fact if you started accepting Bitcoin, for example, as payment for goods and services, you know, and all of a sudden you had, you know, a million dollars in Bitcoin, you'd be a serious holder of Bitcoin. And if, and if the, if the, uh, if the appreciation of that asset goes to the moon, so to speak, as the people in the, the Reddit world likes to say, you just turned your business into something incredibly more valuable. Why do you think Tesla is putting Bitcoin on its balance sheet? Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's not a that's not a conversation you have with your media digital media team. Yeah. Or right? why did why did Trevor Lawrence take his NFL signing bonus in Bitcoin? Why exactly? Because whatever that bonus was, if it was given to him in cash, is going to be as deflationary and will only be worth if he, if they, if he got a million dollars, it's worth five hundred eighty thousand dollars in ten years. Yep. The purchasing power of that million dollars. If I get paid a million dollars in Bitcoin today at $43,000 per Bitcoin and it appreciates to 500,000 or a million, or there's some estimates now that a single Bitcoin could be anywhere between 10 and $12 million. What? In the next 10 to 12 years. <clears throat> and I have a million dollars in Bitcoin. Yeah. It starts to make your balance sheet look a little differently. Yeah. But you've yeah. got to be a total believer in that. You know you what do. I mean? Like that's like, or do you? Because like even if you started to accept Bitcoin as payment, if you're a brand and you decided to, to accept Bitcoin as payment, you know, a, a small only 1.5% of the like world's population owns anything with Bitcoin. So it's not like all of a sudden you're gonna like all of your currency is going to flip. It might be right. that 1% of your consumers start doing that, but that 1% could create some serious wealth on your balance sheet. Yeah. If, that you, is if you believe it's going up. That is interesting. You're right. Cause it's not an all or nothing thing, thing at first. It's not like all of your customers would even take advantage of that. No, but, but some super high net worth ones might, and they yeah. might become loyal to you because they appreciate the fact that you're playing in a financial world that they believe is a reality. A secondarily, they probably have a lot of assets. Mm -hmm. They're probably pretty wealthy. Mm -hmm. And so there's a whole new sort of like, oh, I want to buy, you know, I think people want to buy Teslas because they're Teslas, but I'm pretty sure that there's going to be people who will buy Tesla because Tesla accepts Bitcoin. And they're like, oh, easy, no paperwork transaction. And I get a Tesla. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Super interesting. Yeah. So, I want to back up just a second. If, yeah, if sorry. It, it, no, you're good. You're good. This is what I love. 
when we were talking about how do we communicate, I was just thinking about this for myself. I've been doing some sort of public communication for 15 years now, mm-hmm. and I don't have a method. Like people are like, how do you prepare? How do you whatever? And I'm like, I don't have a method other than I have two filters in my head at all time that I know makes a good communication talk for me versus a poor one. If both of these are satisfied, it's going to be awesome. Do I know what the hell I'm trying to say? And do I know why the hell it matters? Mm-hmm. And I just, I go on those two. So one is logical. Like, cause often we'll have what we know what we're trying to say, but we haven't fleshed it out yet. Yeah. You know? And so I'll play like a 360 degree game with myself. Like on each point I'm trying to make where I just imagine if we were doing Q and a, someone, I, what do you mean by that? What about from this angle? What about from this angle? And I'll just logically go around it until I feel like I really have wrapped my brain around uh, and even distill it, you know, like, oh, I don't really need to get into that. That's a rabbit trail. That's a ra-. Here's what I'm really trying to say. Yeah. If I get that feeling of I know what I'm trying to say, and then the yeah. second is, do I know why it matters to them? Right. Like I, often we just stop with ourselves. Like, I know why it matters to me. You know, this changed yeah. my life or this is where the future's going or whatever. But like you said, if I'm talking to – you know, a, a banker versus if I'm talking to a media company versus I'm talking to an individual person out there in the world, why would this information matter to them? Right. I think if you can satisfy both those that you actually know what you're saying or trying to say, and you know why it matters to them, you can't help but have at least some kind of compelling communication happening, right? That's right. Well, I think, you know, I just wrote a piece for Authority Magazine on, uh, on thought leadership. And uh, it's just sort of one of these things where there are so many people who call themselves thought leaders like self-anointed thought leader. Yeah. It's like, I don't think you can do that. Right. (laughs) Like I I literally don't think you can call yourself a guru. You can't call yourself a thought leader. You can't call yourself a shaman. I mean, there's nothing you can, either you, you're either you're smarter or not. Right. And, and it's in the eyes of it's in the eyes of the audience and in the heart of the audience as to whether you are or aren't something. Yeah. And you know, the number one value at our agency here is empathy and empathy means that you have to place yourself in the mindset, in the sh- walk in the shoes of, understand the trials and tribulations of whoever your audience is, but especially in client work, and realize that sometimes that thing that you're super excited about could be totally threatening to them, right? Yep. Because you forgot to contextualize how their life might have to change. Yep. And that the thing that they've, they've mastered over the past maybe five years of their career. And let's just say it's five years because five years in our business is, you know, you can learn a lot, you know, even fact, if you have 10 years of experience, I might ask you, Hey, have you gotten too comfortable? You know what I mean? But it's like new things challenge people's existing expertise. Yep. And so knowing and understanding and like when I'm talking to somebody, oftentimes we'll say, I'll be presenting them with a, maybe a challenging idea. And I'll say, you know, but I, before I had this meeting with you, I thought about it, like, how would I receive this if some guy came in and started talking to me about this? Like, I would be concerned about X and Y and all these kinds of things. And, you know, usually if I'm in person or even on Zoom, I can see them nodding and they're yeah. like, yeah, yeah, that's the stuff that I'm thinking about. And then you come back around and you're like, so within the context of those things, and hopefully you've invited them in to actually say something at that point, like, yeah, you nailed it. Or I don't really think about those things, but I do think about these things. Then you can come back quick on your feet, quick on your mental powers to be able to recontextualize what it is that you're presenting as the big change within the context of what they've told you. 
So if, good. Yeah, but if you haven't told them, hey, I actually spent some time. I thought about your context. I thought about your context. Yeah, and even like the emotional part of the context, that this right. might make you afraid for these reasons, or this might make you uncomfortable because you've only ever seen it like this, and so I could totally see it. I love that. That is really good. Or in big organizations, oftentimes the person who sees it first is very, very far from the the boardroom. Yeah. You know, and they They're actually on the front line somewhere. They are maybe on the front lines, maybe on the mid-tier lines, you know, and they start thinking to themselves, you know, I think he's right. I think that Eklund guy might be right. But even navigating that way, navigating that inside my organization is like, I can't even think about taking on that responsibility. Yeah. It's this so far good. outside my pay grade or whatever else, you know. Well, this is this is both helpful for you if you're listening to this towards, let's say, a client or even a family at dinner, you know, uh, yeah. your, your crazy uncles, you're trying to talk about your review of the world. But also I can imagine if you're a visionary type person somewhere in that mid-tier where you just yeah. live a frustrated existence, like no one's listening to me. Yeah. I, don't, I, I keep telling them what I'm seeing and no one's listening. Have you thought, have you started with this? Have you yeah. Have you thought about putting yourself in that, your manager or your boss or the CEO's shoes and start there with the conversation because they might be feeling overwhelmed and like you're throwing something at them five that's all, that's going to be here five years in the future and they're worried about five days from now you yes, know exactly right yeah and Tell you're going to have to overcome that this year yeah yeah so it's not that you're wrong but maybe you have to help that person overcome that obstacle to hearing you and you might have a better chance of them hearing you versus oh someone's trying to change everything yeah. why are they trying to change everything right now we're just we're trying to do this or this is working why would we change it's like well you got to start there in order to get to where you're going, right? Right, that's right. Something else I thought you said earlier I love, if you're a self-proclaimed guru or thought leader, it made me think of uh, a mentor of mine said, hey, if you call yourself a leader, but you turn around and no one's following you, you're just a guy on a walk. Yeah, that's right. So <laughs> I, love, I love that. He's like, you're not a leader. Like, if no one, if you turn around and no one's following you, you're just a guy or girl on a walk. That's you're walking and great. You're going off into the horizon. You're going off into the unknown, but no one's coming with you. You can't call yourself a leader. That's right. You've got to be able to engender trust. You got to have a, a, a proven record of having been right. And people can see that and trust that. Um, I just thought that was super helpful. Like, all right, let's put our, our, we can all give each other our own titles right now online, you know, right, you can, exactly. on, on LinkedIn or wherever you're allowed to put whatever you want down. Exactly. There. Yeah. I could be totally. a, I could be a world renowned, whatever. And I just put that on, on there. It's you like, well, who in the world the next you? Larry King. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so humbling. Uh, <laughs> so let me let me touch on this, and then uh, we've spent most of the episode on this, and that's fine actually, because again, I think the majority of people I've interviewed on this podcast have actually been visionary leaders, and it's it's always been um, interesting to to figure out the dynamic between a visionary leader and the more operationally minded people and, and they have to navigate that. And so I, this is a totally valuable conversation. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you found it, anything like this helpful. Don't know if you have or haven't, mm -hmm. but a, a, uh, a friend of mine, or sorry, my co-founder actually uses this some because he gets in trouble with communicating things that sometimes our team doesn't know how serious he is about it. Oh yeah. And, and sometimes <laughs> they'll be like, you made it sound like it was just a thing you threw out there, but like now you're asking us about it. Like, we were supposed to have done something with it. And then other times they'll be like, we thought you wanted us to like 
move in that direction. He's like, no, I was just brainstorming, you know? Yeah. And so guilty. Uh huh. Right. And so sometimes what they've learned to ask is, is this provisional? Is this a plan or is this a promise? And he'll use those three to kind of let them know what stage of ideation he's at. So provisional means guys, I'm literally just throwing this out there. I'm, I might not even think about it again tomorrow. Like provisionally, this is something I want to play around with, but I have no intention at this point to do anything about it. And so they're like, cool, we're just in brainstorming mode, seeing what sticks, we can th shoot holes in it, whatever. If he likes it, obviously, you know, if it comes out of that meeting well, it might move to the next stage or whatever. The second stage would be uh, plan. I think I'm planning on doing this, but still, yeah. if, if some feedback comes back from the customer or from whatever, I'm still open to abandoning this. Yeah. And then promise is I've already made a decision. Yeah. I'm telling you, this is what we're doing or where we're going. And so let's let's do everything we got to get to get there. And that has been really helpful when we communicate that way. And I've noticed a lot of damage if we haven't taken the time to communicate that way because they don't know where we're at in this brainstorming because it all sounds the same to us because we're excited and we're sharing about it, you know. And so I wonder, have you run into some of those troubles and have you found any way of giving your team a nod at like, how serious is Andrew about this? That's great. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Well, I'll give you one example and then I'll just give you some, some color on that. You know, I have uh, my management team. Uh, a, a couple of them have worked with me or known me for almost 20 years. So they've been through my cycles many, many times. They know when I'm serious. They know when I'm just sort of spitballing. They know when I'm sort of like on this little tangent for a while and I'll probably come around in a couple of weeks. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? They usually tell me to leave the office, go do something, go, go back out on fish tour uh, <laughs> or whatever. You know what I mean? But it's yeah. like, like, but they can kind of also tell when I'm, when I'm, <clears throat> when I'm serious. And, um, and, and I oftentimes do have to articulate that I'm serious about this. Um, and sometimes it's, it's definitely business related, but sometimes it's, it's, it's almost at a deeper level. I'll give you an example. So a year and change ago, um, well, as you know, the advertising industry has always uh, been very much a white dominated culture, just across the board. You add into that, that we live in Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota, which is also, um, you know, a dominant, you know, in terms of numbers, you know, like, 80% white, yeah, European, white, Northern European, right? And so I looked at that, that, what was happening in the marketplace. And then I also, obviously here in Minnesota with the murder of George Floyd last year, you know, it really forced conversations that needed to be, that needed to be had. And I said to uh, my colleague, Carrie, Carrie Helling, who runs, um, our agency, she's VP of agency experience, but also handles a lot of recruiting. And I said to her, you know, what is the, what is the percentage of, of Minnesota uh, or the Twin Cities um, ethnic divert, ethnically diverse culture? What, what is the percentage of our, it's like 18% non-white, right? And I said, well, I would like to be double that. I think being like 36% of our staff here at we should over index against our community because we compete globally mm. right mm. and i said i made this statement and 
she could tell that I, I was serious about it. And I've been very serious about it for a long time, but have never really put together what I would consider the kind of effort that it requires to do it. Fast forward, we're right around that number now. Wow. And it was just me just saying, I just think that we have to be, we can't just be like the population. We have to be better than that. And if I could be 50%, that would be amazing. Like there's no, there's no, there's no special magic number. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's good for us. I think it's good for our community. I think it's good for economic diversity. I think it's great for cultural relevance of our work. And so there was a decision that almost seemed abstract that she took it and she ran with it. Mm. And our culture and our agency has changed in a year incredibly. And we're, huh. uh, we're in, uh, in a, a better agency as a result of that right now. And that took a lot of work. Sure. Took a lot of work. She was able to pick up from you. He's talking about this in a way that's different than just throwing out something he thought about at lunchtime. This is something his teeth, his kind of teeth are stuck in on. Well, she also knows me because she's known me for over 20 years. And she knows that this particular issue is something that I'm deeply passionate about. And it's something that I have felt as though I have failed at over 26 years as a leader of being able to build the organization that looks like the agency I'd always wanted to be. She knew that on a, on a almost spiritual level in my yeah. heart. And so she was able to take that and, and run with that as, as like, we're going to do this and it's going to be hard and it's going to, um, and it means that our, even our, our own staff, we should, we should be trained so that we understand our own bias that we bring. We understand microaggressions. We understand the language of inclusivity. We understand things that we've never had to deal with in our entire life because of privilege that we are now going to be faced with is very real and we need to be self-aware we need to be self-aware and then we need to learn new skills and talents so that people that we bring in are full maximum contributors towards the vision that we're trying to achieve here as an agency yeah because i'm yeah. not here to check boxes i'm not here to say oh great okay you know got that box cover you got that I'm doing that for cultural relevancy and for cultural accuracy. And there's, and, and because the work that needs to be done to heal our community and to heal our culture um, means we have to go in with both feet fearlessly and with, with full commitment. Mm. Beautifully said. Last question I'd love to, to ask you before we wrap up this conversation is, if you were to, if you were, if someone listening right now is someone, let's say like a COO or someone that's more operationally minded that is trying to work with a visionary that they really respect, but again, they speak somewhat different languages and their heads are in different places at times. What advice would you give someone like that to increase the chances of having a great working relationship with someone more like yourself that might be 20 ideas a day? you know, loves to see, can see ahead of time, that kind of thing. What, any advice to that kind of person to work well with someone like you? Always challenge. I mean, just, you know, sometimes the, the problem with convic having conviction is that you speak, you speak to it as though it's the truth. Mm. Right. Yep. And that there isn't any room because I have spoken. I believe in this. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. This is where the future is going. And you use these big esoteric sort of like, I've come down from the mountaintop with the tablets and here we go. And it's like, you know what? Nobody's that smart. Mm. Nobody's that smart. And so you need to, you need to have people around you who can question you. You need to have people who can poke holes in your logic. And then for me, more importantly, is somebody or a group of people like my management team who can say, what are you actually trying to accomplish? And yep. specifically as a business, what are you trying to accomplish? Because you can, you can be recognized for being like the smartest whatever in the world, but you can't run a balance sheet and you're out of business. Right. Right. I mean, yep. you have to remember that we're running a business here. We're not trying to write books. You know, I'm not trying to get an adjunct teaching job someplace. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like, it's like, you better figure out what's real, what's a priority, how you're going to operationalize it and how do you make money through using all of those things to make your clients better. Because at the end of the day, that's another thing I can figure out how to do it and even make money. But if I'm not improving anybody's life, like if I'm not making, if I'm selling stuff to my clients, stuff they don't need, but maybe I'm good at sales, yep. well, then you're just going to have churn and churn sucks for business. So you know, that's, so it's having people around you and just push you to that, the, the decisions, you may not be wrong, but you not, might not be all right. <laughs> mm. Yeah. That's super important. Man. Uh, I feel like we've said that, I've said that before myself, like, I know I'm not wrong, but I also know I'm not fully right. Yep. Like, you're, it's gonna be hard for you to pull me away from this instinct that I have yeah. right now, but it doesn't yeah. mean I understand it yet. It doesn't mean we know the implications or that we fully get what it means for us or for the business. And that, man, that what, what great advice, because I think in general, any healthy relationship requires to be able to like truly push back. And, and sometimes we see pushback as like a shove, you know, yeah. almost like confrontational. Yeah. It's like, no, it's actually the, the, almost the definition of curiosity. It is. And yeah. It's curiosity and conversation. Like help me understand this. Or are you sure you're right about that? That doesn't have to be an offensive thing. And right. it might also be a good test of how emotionally mature your visionary leader is. You know, is this the kind of person who's at a stage of life and comfort in themselves that they would welcome that pushback or that clarity or that question versus gets angry or defensive every time you challenge the Ten Commandments, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. We talk a lot about Apple these days because Apple is grabbing headlines, unfortunately, for being a, a very difficult place to work. Oh, really? Uh -huh. Uh, yes. And I think that there are some very interesting things going on right now. And that might be some generational shifts, expectations of younger people about what uh, uh, office environment should and shouldn't be. I think that there's uh, very different standards of uh, acceptable and unacceptable behaviors. There's a lot of things that we did in our younger years or, or experienced in our younger years that was just normal that we don't consider to be normal at all anymore, and nor, nor should they be. But What's interesting is I think back on that and I'm like, you know, like Tim Cook is having to deal with a lot of this right now. You know what I mean? And I'm like, if Steve Jobs are still alive, would he have tolerated any of that? Right. Or would he have just said, get in line or get out? Yeah, he definitely seemed to be more of a you know? storm through the office, yeah, totalitarian exactly. type personality. I know, I know. And, you know, and, and, he's, and he's thought of being obviously one of the most brilliant visionaries of all time. And yet at the same time, if we were to look at him as a, through the lens of, is he, was he a good employer or not? You know, 
he might have had failing grades, especially under the new standards that are emerging right now of what, what an acceptable workplace environments are. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's an old guard of people, and I'm probably butting up next to the old guard that just says, hey, just get, get back to work. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. the things that you're asking us to do are just human behaviors, and I can't modify it. On the other hand, they're probably right. Yeah. You know? Well, I think that's that. were probably pretty, pretty horrible places to work for a long time. You've heard all the stories. Yeah. And I think too, you can't help but make change without swinging the pendulum. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. I think we have to embrace it in some sense. Like, so what, what I'm thinking in my head is like, usually the excuse or the rationale behind that person is the quality. Yep. They're like, hold on. Like, do you want a nice place to work or do you want the iPhone that's going to change the world? Right? Yeah, right. And so they justify it with like, I'm right about this. Like, this is what we need to do. Get in line. We're doing this. And then the fear is, and sometimes it's not actually an unproven fear, is that when we move towards, let's say, nicety or we move towards being more uh, 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 better culture, healthier culture, psychological safety, all those kinds of things that are critical that we go, what are we going to lose, though, the productivity? Are we going to lose or our edge? Or Who's edge. And I yeah. think for a period of time, we might. And that's actually okay if we keep going. Because yeah. it's just like how I think about creative types. Like, there was a period of time where you thought you couldn't, and, and maybe some people still think this way, but you couldn't be creative unless you were haunted. You know? Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You or have to be. Or an alcoholic. Exactly. That's what I mean. Like, you yeah. have to be an alcoholic. You have to be almost suicidal. Because for, <laughs> in some weird way, that's going to bring the muse into your life. And then at some point, people were like, well, hold on. Maybe I could be happy and healthy and still creative, you know? And I well, think we think that way about go ahead. Oh, so the other one too is that that creative people creative people will never truly understand technology. That's yes. another assumption. Yes. Totally not true. Yeah. And I think we did see and we probably have seen a little decline in the richness of let's say storytelling or things like that as people got healthier, you know, and like yeah. weren't willing to just smoke cigarettes all day and have cocaine and whatever. But it's like, we will find that vein because that vein is not automatically attached to pain and suffering and whatever, you know, but we're going to have to kind of swing yeah, you the might, pendulum. You just might not get to the big idea as fast exactly. without the cocaine that you did before. <laughs> exactly. It almost like you have to work for it a little bit more, you know, like. I, there, there's some truth to all of that. I mean, do you think that there's also a coincidence right now that the, that the Silicon Valley folks are trying to really embrace and understand microdosing around hallucinogens or like exactly. LSD and mushrooms, right? Yes. I mean, the reason they're doing that isn't because they're a bunch of hippies from the 60s, although a lot of them are kids of that. Yep. They're doing it because they're trying to unlock their brain faster. They're trying to exactly. get to the they're trying to get to the enlightened idea in the most efficient way possible, and that's why you're seeing a huge, uh, well, it, it, not huge, an interesting sort of tangent that's spinning off into the universe of leadership teams doing things like microdosing. Yes, which is well, hilarious. Or, or going I mean, to burning coming from a guy who grew up with the Grateful Dead and Fish, but at any rate, yeah, or you know all that. How, how many of them go to Burning Man every year, you know? It's like, yeah, yeah. I'm actually cool with that. I mean, I just read Stealing Fire by Stephen Kotler, who is all about understanding flow states and how do you get into a flow state. And that's the idea is that, like, just because we used to have crude methods doesn't mean we weren't onto something that we could find a more efficient method, right? And I yeah. think, in general, let's say we talk about culture, right? 
I think the crude method is being a totalitarian kind of leader, stomping right. through the office, no regard for who's in your way and what they're going through as a person. You, you just go for it, right? But there's probably something there about being direct. And there's probably something there that would come back to even in a better, healthier culture that we can't lose, which is challenge, right? That maybe you need to challenge your people every now and then. Hey, I think we can do better than this. Or I will say this, I, that indirect cultures, cultures of indirectness where people cannot confront each other um, are much more toxic than, yes. dir than direct culture. And a lot of people, I don't think, understand that. And I think that's my fear, or not my fear, but that's what I see as an error as we've swung the other way, is yeah. that some people think that like to, to be healthier together, we need to never push back on each other. No. Like, no, 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 no. That's like what makes this relationship healthy. That's what real psychological safety is. I can tell you I disagree with you and that this space can can hold that, you know? And that's different than playing nice. Like, everybody just play nice, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. I know. Like, well, then we, let un then we let all sorts of crap go that isn't healthy, but we're playing nice, and so no one's talking about it, you know? But remember, we live in a culture of, of celebrity. True. And so being liked and being nice is literally a currency now. True. And yeah. uh, to a lot of people, uh, that currency of being liked and being nice to in order to earn whatever, whatever social currency you're pursuing means a lot. Mm. And I don't think it's healthy because mm -hmm. I don't think it's built upon. I don't think it's a currency. I don't think Instagram follows and, you know, you know, whatever, you know, number of blog posts mentions and likes are a good proxy for appreciation yeah or friendship yeah true connection love and we are we have a we are a culture of that that now has spent the last when i'm trying to be accurate i'll say 15 years really valuing those metrics on a human level uh and especially younger people and they are having a crisis of spirit they're having a crisis of, of understanding of themselves and their place in the society because it's been essentially crafted and, and scored. It's been scored for them mm. by metrics. Um, and you see a lot of uh, very unhealthy behaviors as a result of them not being nurtured and reinforced of actual, true, heartfelt love, attention, and mm. all of this. Yeah, and, um, and that that seeps into business culture and uh, agency culture, and you have to manage that as a leader. You need to show genuine concern, genuine love, genuine uh, understanding, genuine empathy, and then genuine listening, and then genuine direction. And that the direction may or may not be in the in the direction they wanted, but they were heard, they were seen. They were, you know, to whatever extent accommodated, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but they also understand the decision and why decisions were made and hopefully how their input is incorporated in that decision. So they have a sense of ownership over it. And that when the organization goes in the cool, great new direction, they can see and has been communicated to them the value that they brought to that. They didn't bring the whole thing. They brought elements of it. Yeah. Good leaders need to understand that sort of team player role and how each of those player roles, you know, actually 
manifested itself in some sort of new change of direction. Love it. Well, Andrew, I've already kept you over our agreed time, so I I, I need to apologize for that. But this has been uh, hard to do, but maybe even better than our first conversation because hey. I loved our first conversation. So thank you so much. Thank you. For yeah. Coming here again, making time, opening up and sharing with us about yourself because I think it's been truly enlightening. Awesome. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results. 